Support for WERU comes from Village Soup, the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. You're listening to WERU 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, streaming all over the place at WERU.org. We're a voice of many voices, we're listener-supported, and we are volunteer-powered. Got about a minute before main currents. Let's take a quick look at the detailed forecast for this afternoon. Patchy drizzle with a chance of rain before 5 p.m., then slight chance of rain after 5. Patchy fog before 5 p.m., otherwise cloudy with a high near 58. We're down to 52 here in East Orland. Chance of precipitation, 40%. Tonight, a slight chance of showers before 8 p.m., a patchy drizzle after 8 p.m. until midnight, patchy fog between 8 and midnight, otherwise cloudy, low 46. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a high near 55. Northwest winds 6 to 18 miles an hour. Patchy fog after 1 a.m. Thursday night, otherwise partly cloudy with a low around 38. North winds around 8 miles an hour. Friday, patchy fog before 8 a.m., otherwise sunny, high near 55. And a quick look at Saturday, mostly sunny with a high near 54. Stay tuned now for main currents coming your way on WERU 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming all over the place on WERU.org. And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture for Wednesday, November 16th, 2016. I'm Amy Brown. We're all aware of how divided the country feels right now, but on a local level, a lot is happening in our communities to pull people together. Today, we're going to talk with some of the people involved in one such project in Surrey called The Gatherings. We'll hear what motivated them to create a community space. We'll hear some of the stories that were told at a recent event held there. And we'll open the phone lines and invite listeners to call with questions or stories about what's pulling people together in your communities. My guests here in the studio today are Flo Reed, President of the Board of the Gatherings, Vice President Norman Rosicki, and Steering Committee member and active volunteer uh, Marge Longwood. Welcome to Maine Currents, all of you. Thank, Thank you. you. And we're going to start, before we get into a discussion of what the Gatherings is and how it works, with one of the clips from the stories that were told at the event in October. These were recorded by uh, WERU volunteer Charlie Pizzarella, Pizzarella and uh, Marge, to set this up, told this story dressed as her father and telling some of his stories in his persona. But I want to share with you uh, just something about some Surrey characters I knew as I was growing up. If, if you think I'm insulting your family, just plug your ears. <laughs> <laughs> there was Mr. Mindgrow, or tight ass as we called him, because he wore these tight white pants. He had a nice white boat. He used to take the black help out fishing in it. It was tied up at the wharf when not in use, and when Mr. Murphy would come in each week with a load of fish to sell to the town folks, he'd tie his boat up between the wharf and the, Mr. Mingro's boat. Now, it so happened that the porthole of Mr. Murphy's boat was just above the deck of Mr. Mingro's. All of the guts and everything from Murphy's boat was thrown out of the porthole and it just happened to land in the boat of Mr. Mingrove. <laughs> then before morning, Murphy would pull out on the high tide. When Mr. Mingrove found the offal in his boat and us kids playing around, he would blame us. And for this reason, we later gave him a self-inflicted shower. You know, one of those where you balance the full pail of water carefully on the slightly open door? We did that. Fred Warren was a ta our town barber. He would cut our hair for a quarter. He had asthma so bad, one could hear him breathe 100 feet away. Ray Wood, our cousin, was going by Warren's house one day singing the song, How Dry I Am. <laughs> and Warren's wife was by the road, and she had a pail of water she was bringing home. 
As Ray went by singing at the top of his voice, how dry I am, Anne turned and threw the pail of water over him and said, how dry are you now? <laughs> Saul Trewardy was a, was a friend of the family. He and his wife used to come to the farm often for a song fest, and Mama would play the organ. They all would gather around and sing. One person there was Lincoln Trilogy. At one time, he was a prospector in Alaska. He lived alone on what we call the Allendale Ranch, about one half mile through the woods from us, up in that direction. One time, he told us he tried to eat a crow but found it to be a little rank. <laughs> then there was a Henry Billington. He was a short man who always walked with his hands behind his back and looking at the ground. He was also very bow-legged. At his place was where we'd get our milk when our cow was dry. Another man was Green Sinclair. He and Henry Billington used to work for father, rebuilding the barn and digging the well and such. And Green Sinclair never could tell Charlie and Bill, my brothers apart, so he'd call each one of them Charlie Willie. There was Horace Young. He was a big man and very bow-legged. One time he was in the kitchen talking to my father and I stuck up behind him and I pinned a real pig's tail to the back of his coat. Father found out about it, and he made me go after him and remove the pig's tail without Horace knowing it, and I did it, and uh, he never found out. Horace always walked in the middle of the road. He had very large feet, and when he was walking north and south, his feet were always pointing east and west. <laughs> <laughs> when a car came up behind him and would blow the horn to get by, instead of moving out of the road, he'd slowly turn around and tell him that it was his constitutional right to walk in the middle of the road and to take his half of the road from the middle. <laughs> and they'd have to go around him. One night after an ice storm, Jay Saunders and I were sliding on the big hill known as Spirits Hill, just out of the village on your way to Blue Hill. We were going about 60 miles an hour on one of these races. As we approached the mouth of Morgan's Bay Road, Horace stepped out into the middle of the road right in front of us. We could not stop, but we tried to avoid him, and we were very close together. Jay hit his toes on one side, and I hit his toes on the other. <laughs> we could hear him holler, so we went, to, we went back to see if he, we had hurt him, and all we got for that was a little hell. <laughs> Newell Kane could spit tobacco juice 20 feet if there was a barefooted boy in that distance. <laughs> there was also Daddy Dow, the father of Newell, and the grandfather of the Kane boys, Dolph and Willard. Daddy Dow had a long white beard. The only other man with a long beard was Mr. Engels. They were the only two that I remember had a beard while I was growing up. Mr. Engels was our veterinarian and the town's only tooth puller. He was, he was also the father of Edgar Engels, a very good friend of ours. And once when my daughter Marjorie was four years old, Edgar came over to our farm in East Blue Hill to talk to me about something. And Marjorie insisted that he sit down and play house with her. And he harassed her about that bowl of pretend conflicts that she fed him for the rest of his life. <laughs> Marshall Olds had the only garage in Surrey. He also, as many people did, had livestock to care for to help feed his family. His wife was a very poor housekeeper, for in the kitchen were many car parts, 
with barrels of grain and pots of harness scattered around over the floor. Mr. Old one time hired Artel McGown to wire his house, which he did. Someone asked Artel how he managed to work in such a mess, and he told them he just tied a wire to a rat's tail, and every time the rat poked his head through the side in, he'd put on an electric box. <laughs> Artel lived on Newbury Neck, alone except for his dog. He often guided men while hunting for deer, and one day this stranger from New York came to the door, it was early in the morning. Artel was still in bed, but he invited him in to find out what he wanted, which was to hire Artel to guide him. And so they made an appointment for the next day. And on that morning, Artel was still in bed when the man arrived. Artel asked him in. Before Artel got up to dress, the man told him he'd brought him something and hoped he would not uh, mind, for the man did notice how ragged his undergarments were and he bought him a new set of long johns. Artel's reply was, thank you, let's see him. He took them and pulled them right over his ragged ones. Artel was picked up for peddling alcohol. He was put in jail to await trial. You know, they had one of those traveling judges back in that day, and his alcohol was taken and put in the courthouse basement to use for evidence in the spring when they would have his trial. <laughs> it was not long before he was made a trustee and could go anywhere. <laughs> but he had to be back at night to sleep in the jailhouse. During the winter, Artel would borrow the warden's car and he peddled out the evidence held against him and filled up the jugs with river water, which ran close by the courthouse in Ellsworth, of course. In the spring, the judge threw the case against him out for lack of evidence. And they even let him take his jugs back home with him. Someone asked Artel how his winter was, and he told him he did fine. He got three meals a day, and didn't have to cut wood to keep himself warm. Besides that, he made a little money on the side. <laughs> Weldon Winchester was a retired cartoonist. They claimed he was so lazy that instead of fitting up his firewood to feed into the fireplace, he'd push one end of a tree through the window and into the stove, and as it burned, he would keep pushing it in. If he had some trouble with a limb, or if it was too heavy, he'd push it back and go to the forest and get another tree. <laughs> there were others. Alva Leach, who came to our house one afternoon and told us many stories that were greatly exaggerated, while at the same time he ate a whole pot of baked beans. Charles Ells had eye trouble. He went to the eye doctor. The eye doctor took Charles' eyes out and cleaned them, but before he put them back in, he showed them to Charles and told him how to take care of them. <laughs> Everett Young, a strutting man, drove a Model T Ford. One day coming up from Bar Harbor, he picked up a couple of girls who were high hitchhiking, they got to teasing him about his old car, and one asked him if it had come over on the Mayflower. Everett said no, but a lot of girls had come across in it. <laughs> there was Barley S., a convicted rum runner who served time. To me, he looked like John Silver of Treasure Island. And there was Robert Cole. He raised blueberries. One year, they condemned his whole crop because of worms, so he put them all into wine. Hope you all enjoyed your blueberry cake tonight. <laughs> that was Marge Longwood at a storytelling event last month held at the Gatherings in Surrey, Maine. Marge is here with us today on Maine Currents along with Flo Reed and Norm Rosicki. They are all part of a group of community members who are working on this space called The Gatherings in Surrey. And uh, 
Let's take a break now. We're going to be hearing some more clips from the storytelling event, and we'll be taking calls if you have questions or stories that you would like to share listeners about community coming together in your town at 469-0500 throughout the program. You can jump in anytime, and if we are playing an audio clip when you call in, uh, John Greenman, who's engineering, will let you know about how long you'd have to be on hold before the uh, clip is over. That was our longest clip. But I want to just take a a moment here and have you each introduce yourselves a little bit more about yourselves and how you got involved in this project called the gatherings and what your role is there and uh, uh marge i think you missed your calling as a stand-up comedian that was that was incredible uh do you well my father wrote that and your uh, delivery is excellent though well see i'm i'm a retired presbyterian minister so uh, i had a lot of but my sermons were never that funny. <laughs> no, and I was in the Midwest. My word, do I have a flat main accent? I thought I had cultu- cultivated that a little bit. But that's all my father's work. And he wrote those um, as he was taking care of my mother at home uh, towards the end of her life. And as fast as he'd write them, a distant cousin would take them to a publisher in Boston and get them printed, not in hardcover, but anyway, and assign a copyright to them. And uh, I know there's much more in there, and I'm going to try to find some more good stories. I think people laughed because they knew the name, or at least the family name, of the people that were included in those Mm. adventures. So how did you get involved with the gatherings, and what is your role? Well, um, my cousin Sharon McGraw-Minogue was telling me about it, and it sparked my interest because I certainly felt that um, Surrey, like so many small coastal towns, needed a place where the newcomers in the last 10 to 20 years and some of the old-timers needed to get together and and hear stories like my father told and like all the old folks in Surrey could tell. And just a nice place to come together and do that. And uh, so I got involved in that. And... um, my responsibility is the three cafes we have on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at, from 9.30 to 11, uh, 9.30 to noon now it is. We started out earlier, but I think 9.30 to noon it is what people like, and we're working on sort of building up the attendance at these opportunities to get together around a table and meet some new people as they come in for coffee and conversation and a goodie and um, we're going to advertise that they can play games or cable games or scrabble as people make any suggestions about what they want uh, we try to accommodate that. So you coordinate that area. Yes. So I do that in the book nook which is sort of a a little library, uh, but that hasn't had a lot of uh, takers yet, but that's okay, because this will happen. It's getting started. Great. Flo Reed, you've been here uh, before in other roles as uh, the founder of Sustainable Harvest International. You're here in a different role today. Tell us a little bit about your work in this project. Sure. I think that the two are connected somewhat. Uh, One of the things that I've seen in Central America is how close-knit the communities are, and it's something that um, I didn't feel we had as much um, in in this country and the places that I've lived. And so I wanted to see if I could help create some of that in um, in my community in in Surrey um, and, and also for people in the surrounding communities as well but uh, in Surrey we've never had a library and the last church closed recently and there wasn't uh, just a comfortable uh, place that people could get together uh, to talk with each other to learn uh, to uh, entertain each other. And so um, I started it with a particular interest in having a a Sunday morning gathering to talk about spiritual matters. But when I put the idea out there, uh, a number of other people came forward and said, that's great. Uh, I think we need a space for uh, making art. Uh, 
we need a space to discuss current events. We uh, need this. We need that. And I said, well, we're such a small town. I think it would make sense to just have one space that, that could accommodate all of that. And and it's been a couple of years that your calendars really, we'll talk a little bit uh, later about some of the upcoming events, but in that couple of years, just looking at the calendar today on the website, it looks like it's really full. We've got a lot of things going on. Right, and right? We've, we've only been open since May, um, since Memorial so Day. So a few years getting up to that, up to speed. Y- yes, we, there were a lot of beatings and looking at various buildings. We hoped we might rehab one of the older buildings um, in Surrey to serve the purpose, but uh, found that, that that didn't work out and then ended up uh, with the building that we purchased across from the post office. And uh, there were renovations that had to happen before we could open it up uh, for our purposes. And so it wasn't until May that we had our grand opening, which was uh, a lot of fun. That was one of the bigger events uh, that we've had. And I think we had about 100 people uh, turn out for that. And then since then, We've had a a number of different groups using the building uh, weekly or monthly, and and we've had some other special events. Um, And we also let people uh, use the space for private uh, events as well. Great, great. And Norm Rosicki, what is your involvement? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to get involved in this project. Uh, Well, Flo sucked me in, really. Uh, (laughs) She's persuasive She presented that that idea of a community center and... uh, we started going to meetings at her house, and little by little, it, it really grew in me. Um, Have you lived but, in Surrey all your life? N- not all my life yet, no. Um, <laughs> oh, we an, were just filled with comedians <laughs> around here. <laughs> um, I've lived in Surrey for about 46 years, yeah. And, um, yeah, I think the town needed a space that was public space and not the school because the school has its own uses and not the town office and – a place that people could feel comfortable going to and f- and feel like it's an extension of their own home. And I sometimes think that that's how we, we could present the, the community center as an extension of people's homes. They could they could have uh, birthday parties and uh, anniversaries, the non-church portions of funerals and weddings. Uh, those things can happen at the, at the community center, and, and it'll feel more like a home than, than some kind of institution. Uh, we've um, it's been a long time coming, probably because the uh, building, we fi- building we finally settled on after, as Flo mentioned, we we looked at a number of older buildings in Surrey that weren't being used. Uh, they all had issues. So primarily, they weren't really um, winterized and, or, or had decent plumbing. Uh, otherwise, it'd been wonderful to renovate the uh, old church, which is a institution in Surrey, just the building, uh, the old high school, which people are trying to uh, renovate now. Um, it'd be great to, if we could have kept those old buildings and, and put them to some use, but it just wasn't practical for our needs. But the building we did settle on was a commercial building in the front. There's the front part of the building, part you see from the road, uh, was a uh, framing studio, and then it was a residence in the back. When we got it, we realized that what we needed was big open spaces, not small rooms. So we did a lot of uh, renovating, mostly tearing out the walls and making bigger spaces out of the small spaces. Uh, that took some time. Some, a lot of that work was done volunteers. We had one paid carpenter. And uh, so, you know, you guys know how volunteers work, right, even, even <laughs> here at the studio. And so it took a while to get, to get that done. We got a lot of help from a couple of, a couple of volunteers uh, building the ramp outside, uh, Todd Baywig and our selectman, Bill Matlock. Bill Matlock. Uh, that was a big project, and they did that uh, all on their own. That's great. It sounds like you have a lot of people who have an investment in it. They put in yeah. some some sweat equity into it, if not uh, financial. And that's exactly being at the top of the list. For <laughs> yeah. But that's exactly how this thing's going to work. It's not. Uh, we are not going to make this community center. The community does. It's we are the stewards of the of the facility, but the 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 community center belongs to the town of Surrey and the people who will do with it what they feel they need to do. All right. Well, let's take a uh, break here and listen to another clip. Uh, you mentioned uh, that, Marge, that uh, this was a good opportunity for people who had lived in town all their lives or maybe their family had been there for generations to come together with people who hadn't lived there as long and hear each other's stories. The storytelling really connects people. I mean, anybody who's listened to this show knows that I'm pretty obsessed with storytelling and travel anywhere to record storytelling events. And it really does seem to have that no matter where it is and in what context it is. Uh, Flo, you've been on this program before being recorded at other stories. 
storytelling events. It's something that's very popular right now, and it does connect to people. Uh, so we heard your story with some of the old-time people who mm-hmm. lived in town. Uh, up next is the story that Flo told about uh, moving to town about 12 years ago and uh, getting a strange introduction to some of the neighbors. Okay, we've been hearing a lot about the uh, history of Surrey, so I want to take us way back um, to 2004, um, (laughs) which uh, was the beginning of my history in Surrey, my family's history in Surrey, so uh, we're about as from away as you can get, I suppose. And when we moved to Surrey in 2004, we were very quickly made aware of this fact. We didn't know the term from away, but uh, we we were educated, uh, I think, the day we we got to town. And we uh, bought a house at the beginning of Newbury Neck Road, and we were very excited to become part of this wonderful small town in Maine, and, and we didn't want to be so from away. We wanted to become part of Surrey, and so we were very pleased. I think it was our first weekend in Surrey. We saw there would be a Grange supper, and we said, oh, what could be more uh, small-town Maine than to go to the Grange supper? Um, So we looked forward to it, and and we went, and uh, this was my husband and me. This was before our son was born, and we didn't know anybody. And we sat down, and um, some you know, people introduced themselves, and we introduced ourselves. And of course, uh, the first question that came up was, uh, well, where, where are you living? Uh, and so we said, well, we, we uh, bought the old uh, Johnson place across from Donnie and Pearl Fowler's, and uh, we, we've moved in there. And as soon as we said that, the woman, it was, you know, a situation like this, you know, the range suppers, right? And so my husband was there. There was a woman sitting right across from me at the table. As soon as we said where we lived, she jumped up and she pointed at my husband and she said, oh, it's you. Oh my, it's you. I can't, oh my God, it's you. <laughs> and he said, um, what, what do you mean? And she said, where do you live? And he explained it again. She said, I knew it. I knew it. It's you. And then once he thought about telling her where we lived and started to, uh, he started to put it together and thought, wait, could it be? And he thought back to a couple days before, uh, he'd been clearing to get the land measured and we work in Central America. So we had a machete. Um, and he'd been down in the ditch at the side of the road at the edge of uh, our property, and he was swinging the machete (laughs) to clear the brush. And while he was doing that, he noticed a police car that slowed down and went past. And then a little while later, the police car came back, drove past slowly again, and he thought it was strange, but it didn't stop, so he didn't think much of it, and he kept... And and, she, and eventually, the uh, it, it came about that the woman uh, said that uh, she had driven by, and all she saw was the machete going up and down. So naturally, what did she assume? She assumed that he was murdering his wife. <laughs> and she called the police. <laughs> and they decided that uh, that was not the case, that I was okay. Uh, and, and that was our first introduction to um, Society. <laughs> and that was Flo Reed, one of our guests today, along with Marge Longwood and Norm Rosicki. Uh, you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU, and these are my guests today in the studio. I'm Amy Brown. They are three of the organizers of a um, both a place and sort of a... Um, I don't know what else you call it, a project. It's, it's beyond just a physical space called The Gathering in Surrey. What, how, how do you define it? I think it's a philosophy because ah, yeah. uh, uh, what I read that Flo uh, wrote first, you know, before I'd even joined the board, was more a philosophical thing that we're going to learn together and meet together to develop spirituality and through the arts and uh it was a pretty uh, broad statement, but it really explained what gathering was to be for. Nice things that would enrich us as a people in Surrey, and I thought that was really needed. Really yeah. needed. Mm-hmm. Norm, Flo, anything to add to that? We'll hear another clip. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I do 
feel like it's, it's grounded in the property and the activities that happen at the property, but I think it goes beyond that, and I, I hope it will continue to do so. And certainly it's given me the opportunity to get to know uh, a lot of people in town that I didn't know and I probably wouldn't have known. We um, have maybe different um, you know, political beliefs. We have different spiritual background, but we've come together around this idea of connecting people. Mm. And, and so those connections have gone beyond the, the physical property of the gatherings where we uh, have our different activities and events. Have you had any people from other communities contact you about how to do this? Uh, there's a group in uh, Ellsworth or Blue Hill Falls that, uh, what's it called? The um, uh, Founders Hall. Founders Hall, yeah. And that's uh, in, in East Blue Hill. Yeah. Yeah, they, they've just established that as a community center of sorts. But I was thinking about the other place. That, uh, uh, oh, the Reversing Falls Reversing Sanctuary? Reversing Falls Sanctuary, yeah. They've these are, been doing these so are ones long. that we've learned from. Yeah. Great, they're great. kind of local. Well, so listeners, if you have any questions, if this sounds like something you'd like to do in your community, and even if you're in a neighboring community like Blue Hill to Surrey, uh, one of the things that you're, the, the website explains for the gatherings is that being where somebody can walk, people who don't like to drive at night, people who may not have the money for gas to drive to other places, having something that local and central in each community is something that can benefit communities. So if, if this sounds like something that you might want to uh, pick the brains of my guests about, give a call. The number is 469-0500, 469-0500, or you can call toll-free at 1-866-625-9378. We're going to play some more clips and... If you call in during a clip, John can let you know how long you'll have to wait before uh, we'll put you through, but we'll put you through as soon as the clip's over, and this next one's only about five minutes long. This is the first of two clips that we have from Bob Stevens, who has a uh, website called the uh, Oatmeal Stories. Oatmeal Stories, yeah, a Facebook page, actually, you can go to to check out more of his. But, um, yeah, let's play this first clip by Bob Stevens, and then we'll be back. I can I can start with um, all of the Canes that were in Surrey or, and probably are now are all my relatives, and um, Contention Cove was mentioned, and at one point there was a packet boat and they went around all the ports in the coast of Maine and they delivered mail and freight and so forth, and there was a pier that came out on on um, Contention Cove, and it was called Canes Point. And uh, that's when the boat would come in. And it would periodically, and I suppose you'd come down there and pick up your freight and stuff. So that was my great-grandmother that lived in that house, the Surrey Inn. That was her place, my great-grandmother. Um, so that's kind of a varied story. There were only two kids, <coughs> I heard a brother. But the other thing is, Willard Kane had the store on the left. And somebody was going to speak about Willard. Um, and I don't know if she's here to speak about that store or not. Um, but I can tell you a couple things about Willard. Um, there was Willard and Dolph and George Alma. And so like Willard's aunt would have been my great-grandmother. But Willard um, was kind of a favorite of us young boys because if two or three first boys went in, he told us dirty stories. Well, <laughs> no big deal. But something else was is there were never any... It never any water in that building, period. No bathroom, no water, no nothing. Now you start to think of what he sold. He sold hot dogs, pickles, he cut your cheese for you. And he lived down the road, down behind, with his wife, Nellie, I think. So, uh, how clean was that food? How many people died? Uh, probably none. I didn't die. <laughs> Willard's wife was, um, I think, a beautiful woman. And she was always down in the house, and she would come up at noontime, just tend the store for what time he needed to run down to the house and get something to eat and come back up. But bef while he was still running the store, um, and boy, it must be a long time ago, my two cousins um, that are Stevens um, went to interview him and got it all on tape. And so they asked him a lot of questions about the family because he was pretty old then and he remembered a lot of things but they also the old folks were pretty reserved about something maybe they didn't think somebody ought to know or a bad marriage or something they just were really pretty reserved but they asked him 
because we were talking about East Surrey. They asked him, uh, Mr. Kane, were you born in Surrey? And he very indignantly said, no, East Surrey. <laughs> well, so what? It's just down the road. But, and, that, and that was where my father was born and, and, and his brothers and sisters, because they all lived in Contention Cove, either in that big white house or just beyond there, there used to be a... think of another story here in a second, but about the gatherings, this fooled me when they said this, but anyway, there was a house on the left that may or may not still be there, and that's where a lot of my, my father, mother's siblings grew up until their father died. My grandfather died, and then, then they got scattered. Um, but you stop and think now, there were three stores in Surrey. There was Willard's, down the bottom of the hill across from the Surrey store was his brother, um, George Elmer Kane, and he ran that store, and his son worked there with him. Uh, and then we had uh, Forrest Carter had the store across from Willard's. And that was, uh, a, all three of them, as far as I'm concerned, were going concerns. They all had, you know, they all, all kept busy. And uh, I'm not sure about Forrest Kane on the right, but I think they may have even run the post office for a while. But his wife, Esther, did drive the mail, at least on the Newbury Neck Road. So you did a lot of different things in those days to try to make a living. And uh, a lot of people didn't have electricity, so there was a lot of bills that we didn't have then that you just can't seem to think about getting around anymore. Now you have to have some money. I can remember on the Newbury Neck Road seeing these huge, huge to me, there were three and four master schooners that would come up the bay because we lived so you could see the salt water. These schooners would come up, and they'd all be anchored out here in what we call the middle ground. This is the foreground down here, and then the middle ground was up there. And so if they were smelting, they had the foreground, the middle ground for tents. But out in the middle ground, uh, across the road from the Surrey Playhouse, that's what it was called, had some really named stars playing there. And that to see those ships go up and down up and down that bay were just fantastic to see them. Because there'd be a lot of them, and they'd be anchored here for days and so forth. And we'll hear more from Bob Stevens in just a minute, uh, speaking at the gatherings in October. Uh, just to be clear, Willard's store, which also comes up again, that was where Pugnut's yeah. ice cream shop is now located. Yeah, that's the building, yeah. And I need to add a couple stories. My father would have told if he... If he written about Kane's store that early. That would have been in the late 20s and early 30s that uh, my father John and his five brothers used to do things like um, put a sleigh up on top of the store, <laughs> three stories high, and one time Arnold put a ladder against that store and went up and rescued a seagull that had been frozen to the roof of the store. <laughs> and then there was a story about knocking over an outhouse. And so um, but you don't need to say any more to that to understand uh, what, what young men did for entertainment in Surrey back in the 20s and 30s. And we plan to have another storytelling evening at the gatherings. We don't have the date set yet, but yeah, we, I was ask it was that. very popular, yeah. and uh, there seemed to be a lot of enthusiasm for... Uh, do, doing it again. So. And you had some great storytellers there. Is it, uh, I mean, you, uh, Marge, so obviously this was not your first time around. Like you said, you've been a minister, so you have yeah. some public speaking experience. And Bob Stevens, who we're hearing from now, has the oatmeal story. So I assume this isn't the first time he's told some stories in front of people. Yeah. But how hard is it to, and you, I know, Flo, uh, Reed, have told stories at other storytelling events. Uh, how hard was it to encourage people to get up and speak if they haven't done something like this before? And do you think that maybe people are feeling motivated to do it next time if they didn't yeah. dare to I, this I think time? We, we had more trouble with not the night not being long enough to uh, allow everybody to speak who might have liked to, or we uh, got people signed up uh, beforehand so quickly that we didn't invite as many people as would have liked to have been invited. And so yeah. I'd, I'd say the trouble was more on, on the other side that we have more storytellers than we had ours <laughs> in, in that evening. Yeah, there's still a lot of old timers around Surrey. We got to kind of scare them out of the house and bring them over to the gatherings and tell their stories. And I've heard a lot of those stories, but not in a public uh, situation. You know? 
Right, right. All right, well, let's go back to uh, Bob Stevens. Again, if you have any questions for these folks about how they do this and if you think you might like to do something like this in your town or if you have any stories that you would like to tell about how in your community people are pulling together, give us a call at 469-0500. You're on Maine Currents. Again, 469-0500. And we go back to um, Bob Stevens. When we left off with him just a minute ago, he was talking about schooners, and it was sounding very Maine and maritime but now you hear there may have been some nefarious reason for all those schooners hanging around out there. Well, I didn't want to get into that because it was some of my relatives. <laughs> well, back during the pre... pre- Probably the statute of limitations. <laughs> is on me, too. I was very candid about things that I did. Now, old Siri had a lot of people, and a lot of them I knew. Uh, Lillian Collins was an old old lady. It was Lillian Collins. Uh, she was a cane, and it, I didn't know it. That, but she actually was some sort of a relative of mine. So, I'm just going to read a l- little bit about Lillian because she was she was quite nice. In the fall of my eighth grade class. I was sent to live with an old lady named Lillian Kane Collins, and I stayed all winter until the eighth grade graduation. She lived alone in a house that is no longer there, right on the main road leading out to Surrey Neck. My grandmother, Amanda, had been living with her and left to go cook for the wealthy summer folks in Bar Harbor. Lillian did not need any physical help, just someone to stay with her in case of trouble. I got no money or compensation of any kind, but Lillian did cook for me, so I actually ate quite well. Three hots and a cot, they would call it. She did not drive and had no car, so we didn't ever go anywhere. I went to school every day, so I got out for that. Weekends, holidays, or any other time off from school were right there with Lillian. That was the first time I ever left my family. Thinking back, it was a long time to be away from them. They were just down the road two miles, and they had to go by her house most every day. But my father came to visit only once, and I never saw my brothers or Sandy or my mother that whole winter. The thing I remember quite well is that I had a room of my own and a real bed for the first time in my life. Lillian kept it changed and clean. There was no electricity, so it was just a room to sleep in, but it sure was nice. I did not miss being away from home. Lillian got sick for a couple of weeks, and I guess it was the flu or something. Her remedy was to get salt water. Anybody eating? Get salt water mixed up, and then she would sit in the kitchen with a wooden bucket between her legs. She would suck salt water up the nostril of her nose and pull it through a nasal passage. I'm sorry, this is the story. She would cough up phlegm and crap and spit it into the bucket. She would do this in the kitchen right next to the table while I was eating. That was bad enough, but one night she had cooked pea soup and Johnny cake for my supper. Johnny cake is like a cornbread. Getting that down with her spitting out phlegm was one thing, but she tipped over the wooden bucket and spilled the whole mess on the floor by my feet. Just, just hold back from eating a second. I'll be done. I kept what was in me down. She was so sick, and I knew I should have helped her. She looked at me and said, I guess I can't ask you to help me clean that up. I did not help her, and I should have, but I, and I still think about it. When I moved out after graduation in eighth grade, she told me over and over again, don't forsake me now, don't forsake me. I think she uh, truly liked me and wanted me to keep in touch, but I never did see her again. Uh, i got to get off that story. It's not not good on me. Uh, this one is a little humorous, but it's not very nice, but you can still eat now. And this is called, like, the black sheep of the family, uh, black sheep and surrey for a while. So when I got older, I thought nothing of having someone drive 100 miles an hour while I climbed out the front window and into the back of the car through the back window. We would drive out the Boxport Road in Elzeth and play chicken with other drivers and drag race at that same road. We even had the road striped off for our quarter-mile run. The police couldn't catch us because we had such a long stretch to, to see them first. Boy, they sure tried. They used to follow me around town, even though I was doing nothing wrong, waiting for me to slip up. The state police stopped me in Surrey once and actually drove my car to see if they could find something wrong with it. That was illegal, but what could I say and what could I do? 
One summer during school break, I was headed home to Surrey. I was working two shifts at the Brookside restaurant and was very late coming home. My father had always telling us kids about the things he did as a kid, stuff like taking apart a whole wagon, putting it together again on the roof of a store. Another time he got hold of some dynamite and put several sticks of it on a slab of wood and pushed it out into Surrey Bay, foreground. If you think about Surrey Bay, it's just like a big amphitheater. And when that blasted off late at night, nobody slept. <laughs> some of those things were sort of going through my mind, and I got to thinking, what do I have to talk about when I get old? <laughs> As I went through Surrey, it came to me. I parked the car down the road about a quarter of a mile down below the Surrey store and walked back to the Methodist Church. Now, don't mean to tread on anybody's toes here, but this... Um, by the time my eyes were adjusted, by that time my eyes were adjusted to the darkness and I went into the church. The door was not locked and I went in around to the back where I knew the bell rope hung. Kind of numb, I guess, but I went up the ladder that was nailed to the wall, taking the rope with me. Well, look, I had to go through a hole in the ceiling just like that one I climbed through every night at the home. Just had a little trap door to claw up through. I was, anyway, I rang the bell until I just could not do it anymore. I was bushed. So I rested a few minutes and started again. I was in good shape, so I did it justice. Then I rested a second time. I heard the door open. I knew then I was in deep doo-doo. <laughs> I went into the back of the wall that came straight up to make another room in the church. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe they would go away and then I would get down and get out of there. Turns out it was Joe Telford. Old Joe was a staunch Catholic and attended his church faithfully. He was a nice guy, but his wife, Edna, left a little bit to be desired. My, my opinion only. Edna attended the Methodist church and she ran it. Joe did the janitor work. He was scared. He was scared because he did not know who was up there. I kind of felt bad. He came up under the hole and hollered up, come on down, come on down. He started up the ladder and every couple of steps he would holler again, come on down, come on down. I'll give old Joe credit. He kept coming up those steps until he had his head up through the trap door and he still could not see me, though he should have heard me. My heart was pounding. It seemed like it would come right out of my chest. He finally got all the way up and slowly got over to where I was crouching and shined a flashlight on me. He spoke kindly to me and said, okay, let's get down out of here. So we got down, and that was when the fun started. Edna and the whole town was awake, and she came into the church to see who would do such a thing. She kept saying, well, let me tell you what all I got to say. Poor old Joe. She blamed me, but Joe was the one who left the door open after she had told him to lock it. And she went on and on. I ran down to the car and got out of there. I slept good that night. <laughs> okay, so in case, that was Bob Stevens. And uh, he has a Facebook page called The Oatmeal Stories, if you'd like to learn more about him and his stories. And in case it wasn't clear in the transition there, the... Uh, the schooners and uh, what was off mic from the audience participation were a couple people saying that there was uh, possibly some uh, prohibition activity going on there with uh, the schooners and some rumors that they were uh, people uh, doing a little bit of um, smuggling possibly during prohibition in that area. So we're going to hear from one more real quick storyteller, one person, another person who was involved in putting this night together at the gatherings of storytelling last month. And then we're going to get back with our folks here in the studio and let them wrap up and tell you about their upcoming events and maybe give some advice if you uh, think you might like to start something like this in your town. This is Margaret Baldwin. And she's going to talk about uh, Willard's store as well, the story that you've been hearing some of the other storytellers mention. I was a city girl, and we would drive up to Willard's, and we would go into the store, and he would sit in the back of the store next to the Ashley wood stove. And he'd always sit with his big hands on his knees and always dressed perfectly, very clean, just always perfect, a cardigan, a Blue, navy blue cardigan, tie, checked shirt, and Northwood pants, which were woolly wool pants. And his hair combed back very straight and stiff, and he would sit there waiting for us. <laughs> and, you know, and then he would, um, he had these big hands, very blue hands, 
and very arthritic, very blue hands. And he would um, say, want some pickled eggs? And then he'd go over to the counter, and he had this jar of pickled eggs. And my boys, you know, they were just looking and they didn't know what was happening and, you know, what was going to be pickled eggs. And then he would reach his hand, his great big blue hand, into that jar and pick out an egg and hand it to them. <laughs> just Willard. Willard's stories, he was so... <laughs> So incredible. And then, as you know, a crowning thing before we left the store again, he had false teeth, right? And he'd loosen those teeth. And then he'd look at them and he'd rattle his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and my boys they remember these stories. They meant so much for them. Um, and we recount them. He was um, like a, a base for us that meant a lot because of this strange <laughs> life that we moved into here. And he was very fond of them. And I remember him very, very fondly. I have his rocking chair at home. It's a red rocking chair, red wooden rocking chair with a cane. cane. And the hand rests are all worn from his hands. So it's, um, yeah, it's a wonderful memory. You just smile, you know, and that is such a great thing to be able to do. So I hope that other people have stories. That was uh, Margaret Baldwin speaking at a storytelling event held at the gatherings in Surrey last month. It was recorded by WERU's Charlie Pizzarella, which we greatly appreciate him for doing. And in the last 10 minutes here, we have three other people who are involved with the gatherings here in the studio. And we're going to have them uh, give us a little bit of information about uh, how the place is run, what they're looking for in terms of volunteers and resources, and any upcoming events. Um, we have Flo Reed here with us. She's the president of the board there. We have the vice president of the board as well, and uh, Norm Rosicki. I think I've said that right throughout. Okay, good. And uh, we also are going to hear um, from Marge Longwood and just take the last couple minutes with whatever thoughts you want to leave our listeners with. You wanted to go, Marge, you had something that you wanted to make sure that you mentioned before we wrapped up. Well, I, I want to say that, um, you know, in our location, it's on the road from Surrey to Ellsworth. And if you are going that way and the open flag is hanging off our sign, please stop in. Uh, usually it's a coffee time when we put the flag out, but you don't have to be from Surrey. I happen to uh, uh, bring over from my years of, as a librarian in East Blue Hill some of the people I used to have in a book group there, and they like to come over, and the setting is so inviting and warm. The heat system is wonderful. I can't explain it, but it's it's wonderful. <laughs> and you learn to use a, a clicker or remote for it. It's just wonderful. And, um, you know, then you can have coffee and uh, cookies and uh, whatever happens to be there. And uh, I just invite people to come in and check us out. Great. Uh, and, uh, Flo, how is this place funded? Uh, well, we had a, a couple of angel donors that really made it possible and, and got the ball rolling. Um, one family uh, f who lives in Surrey, uh, or they have a summer place in Surrey, and uh, then also the Lawrences who own Tradewinds Marketplace in, in Blue Hill. Um, they were the ones who really got the ball rolling, and since then we've had more than 100 uh, families and a few other businesses that have also contributed uh, that allowed us to uh, make our down payment and purchase the property, make those initial renovations, along with a lot of help from uh, volunteers, and including uh, Dan Ray from Ray Plumbing, who volunteered to help with the plumbing, and uh, Jim Martin helped an uh, electrician who volunteered, uh, along with uh, James Openshaw, I think, was the other electrician who volunteered. Um, since then, we've been uh, raising the funds to make our annual 
mortgage payment and uh, do more renovations. Our, the next item on our agenda is to renovate the second floor. Uh, that's still not open, and we'd like to get that opened up so we could have a game and craft room, a place where the kids can hang out and have fun uh, while their parents are downstairs or their grandparents are downstairs uh, participating in uh, other activities. And there's another beautiful space with big windows that would be nice for uh, meditation, yoga, uh, maybe art, uh, maybe a sort of exercise space. Uh, so those are some of the things that we're thinking about going forward that we'd like to raise the funds for. And uh, next summer, we're thinking about a community garden, a community <coughs> orchard, uh, doing some more with the outdoor space. So we have a, a lot of plans um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, welcome any um, help uh, as far as financial help goes or as far as volunteers. I, I think Marge could use some more volunteers for the cafe, um, and we welcome people to organize other uh, events in in the space as well. Great. Norm, do you want to give contact information and anything else that you'd like to add as we're wrapping up? Uh, contact information. Uh, you have a website? Well, yeah, well, you do have a website, uh, the gatherings in Surrey, Maine. Uh, most of all the information everyone knows about the place is right there. There's, there's a calendar and uh, a lot of information about how, how the place is run. Um, the web address is www.surreygatherings.org. Okay. And, yeah. and we um, also have a page on Facebook. Which is uh, called The Gatherings, I think? Yes, I think so. Okay. <laughs> I, never, I never looked at it. Uh, I should mention that the mysterious heat uh, system that... Uh, is that a heat would, pump? It, yes. It's our, our, our yeah, heat pumps. They're, they're not terribly mysterious, but they're, they're neat. They're <laughs> neat the way they function. Uh, yeah, we, well, they're not we, a wood stove. You can put a whole tree in. No, <laughs> no. The neat thing about them, there's no fuel at all. It's really a great system. Um, yeah, we, as... As any other nonprofit, we you know we we've got projects going on, and it depends on how much money we have coming in. And uh, where we've left off is, as Philo was saying, the second floor. Really, is it's just we just did the demolition up there, but we haven't added anything to it. And that's our next big project. As as we you know get donations, we'll be working on that. And what's the next event coming up? Uh, well, we're planning a solstice uh, party for the holidays, and that's going to be the weekend of December 17th, 18th. Um, we'll have a bonfire if we can, and refreshments, um, and some other uh, holiday activities. There's a number of private parties, um, and that's a, it's a beautiful space. Uh, they're doing a celebration of 100 years birthday for, some, uh, for a lovely lady who came to our cribbage uh, competition that was fun. And then, um, so, you know, having been a minister, I know how people have to look around for places for receptions and special events. And this is a lovely place for one where you won't have more than 50 or 60, you know. And Small it, venue, it, yeah. It's all set up and lots of new kitchen stuff, and uh, we'll help you as much as we can with the dishes and all that, too, is available. All right, so surreygatherings.org is the website? Yes. And I believe it's the gatherings if you go on Facebook. But you should, I think you can yes. go to the website and I find I think if you Facebook search one. the gatherings on Facebook, you'll find yeah. us. Great. Well, thanks all for coming in today. You're very welcome. Thanks sorry. for having us. Mm-hmm. Sorry we didn't get a chance to get to more of the stories that were told that mm-hmm. night. But we'll let you know, uh, get it on the community calendar when the next uh, storytelling event is coming mm-hmm. up. And uh, we've been joined today on Main Currents by Flo Reed, Marge Longwood, and Norm Rozicki of the Gatherings in Surrey. I'd like to, again, thank Charlie Pizzarella for recording the storytelling event that was held there last month that you heard clips from today. And John Greenman, who engineered today's program. You've been listening to Main Currents. I'm Amy Brown. You can catch us here every Wednesday at 4 o'clock for independent local news, views, and culture. Keep it tuned here now for Democracy Now!, which is coming up next. And that's followed by Jazz Straight Ahead. Larry's here getting ready for the show. So keep it here to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Thanks for listening. Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported, nonprofit organization focused on reviving the working landscape and securing a future for farming in Maine. More information on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at mainefarmlandtrust.org. 
You're listening to Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. Let's take a quick look at the National Weather Service forecast for the greater Bangor, mid-coast, and downeast regions. Tonight, it'll be cloudy with isolated showers and patchy fog in the evening. Overnight lows around 48. Winds out of the southwest at 5 to 10 miles per hour, shifting to the west after midnight. Thursday, partly to mostly sunny, highs mid-50s. Northwest winds 5 to 10 miles per hour. For Thursday night, it looks mostly clear for the evening, then becoming partly cloudy, lows 38. Winds out of the north at 10 to 15.